Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Ferry and this is my co-host. I'm Chris Huddleston. And today we are excited to continue our October theme of movies by discussing Vampire's Kiss. How was your weekend? It's all right, you know. There's nothing earth shattering. He was an ordinary guy. Morning, everyone. Morning. Looking for an extraordinary love. I'm Peter Lev. Rachel. I brought this girl up to my place the other night. It started with a kiss. Really hot. A very special kiss. You wanted her very badly. Yeah. A kiss that could drive you mad. I hate interrupted love affairs, don't you? Yep, 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 yep. It's affecting his work. There you are! It's a horrible, horrible job. And you have to do it. It's ruining his appetite. My next appointment with you is uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'd like to make it sooner. It's spoiling his sleep. Sooner. And don't think people haven't noticed. Am I getting through to you, Alva? He is so eccentric. My, my. For Peter Lowe. Oh, sooner. That's just love. Love? Love. In the big city. Yeah! Don't laugh. I'm a professional. I don't laugh. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! <laughs> Nicholas Cage. The tortures of the damned! Maria Conchita Alonso. Shoot. Do it or I'll fire you. Do you understand? <laughs> Not the floor, Alva. And Jennifer Beals. You are so pathetic. Vampires kiss. Strange stuff. I'll never do that again. Jeez. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the things I love about that trailer is it sets this up as a comedy. But oh, I'm getting into it. So do you have a synopsis for us, Chris? I do. Uh, in the 1988 film Vampire's Kiss, a publishing executive played by Nicolas Cage is bitten by a woman and then starts exhibiting erratic behavior. He pushes his secretary to extremes as he tries to come to, to terms with his delusions. The woman continues to visit, and as his madness deepens, it begins to look as if some of the events he's experiencing may be hallucinations. Hmm. All right, and you had never seen this, which I, I assumed you had, but yeah. I guess interesting you came to this not having seen it. So uh, we've heard the trailer, hilarious. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we start with you? What were sure. your uh, impressions of it? So, uh, yeah, as you said, I had not, this is one that just for whatever reason I'd, I'd never seen. I was always aware of it, and, you know, it's something that probably should have been in my wheelhouse, but I don't know if it was from seeing the trailer probably before, but I always thought this was a comedy and there are com comedic elements to it or, or things that are funny. I don't know if they're intentionally funny or not. Um, it's, it's an odd movie. Uh, 
Nicolas Cage's performance. So I'll, I'll, I'll start this by saying that I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. I mean, even now, you know, he's become kind of a, a joke or a punchline or whatever, but sure. he's done, he's done some bad movies, but he's still doing some, some good stuff now. But I, I like Nicolas Cage a lot. His performance in this is strange. He, the, I don't know what the deal was with his accent. It's like a mixture of California surfer dude and kind of a British accent. I don't know exactly what that was supposed to be. Um, You have uh, Jennifer Beals is the woman that, so basically he's this guy, he's publishing, publishing executive. And it seems like he, he just goes, you know, he works in the day and then he goes out at night and brings women home from clubs and he brings this woman home, Rachel played by Jennifer Beals and she bites him or we think, I don't know. We will have to get into all the, you know, what's real and what isn't. Um, and then he thinks he's a vampire after that. Um, she, so I was thinking about this. Jennifer Beals is an actress that, I've not seen in a lot. Another movie that I've never seen before is Flashdance. Mm. Um, and I think partly, you know, we were little kids when that movie came out. So it was something, you know, I was very aware of it because of the soundtrack and, and all that. But, sure. you know, she's um, she's gorgeous in this movie. And I, I mean, I don't know that she's really meant to be much more than that because she doesn't say a whole lot, um, you know, throughout the, the course of the film. But... Um, it like it was just weird because it was not at all what I was expecting. Have you ever seen the um, the Jim Carrey movie? It may have been the first movie that he did, Once Bitten. Have you ever seen that? No, I no, think I it's have not. him and I. I forget who the actress is in it, but it's it's this kind of goofy comedy where it's sort of the same premise. He's bitten by a, a vampire. But it's this 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 kind of slapstick comedy, and I that's what I thought this was going to be. Maybe a little, little less slapsticky, but uh, I think this is more just about Nicolas Cage being insane, pretty much, and his just kind of descent more and more into madness. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, there's a scene where he, uh, so uh, Maria Conchita Alonso is his secretary, and he's. I just sort of harasses her all the, all the time cruel. And at one point. Yeah. He's very cruel to her. And at one point he, uh, it's not a hundred percent clear if he rapes her, but he tries to rape her. And, you know, that's not something you think of as being, you know, in a comedy film. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, would it was interesting. Called, I, I would not have go, called this a comedy and I yeah. hadn't seen the trailer before. So when we watched the trailer to download it, to add here, I was like, what? And the, the poster, when you look at the poster, it makes it look like, Oh, it's, this is any comedy. And it's listed on IMDB as, as comedy horror. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, I enjoyed it. Um, it just wasn't at all what I was expecting. So it was, I was yeah. kind of like, okay, when, when's, when does it get funny? <laughs> there, and it, there we'll talk about that later. I mean, it does to a degree, but, there's stuff in it that causes a laugh, but but mm-hmm. I, I, there aren't jokes, and no. the 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 jokes that there are like I'm you heard it in the trailer I'm a professional I don't laugh right this is the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. 
is one of the few kind of punchlines that exist in the movie, and they stand out because it's weird. But they're yeah. not played for a laugh. Nothing in the music, um, you know, is comic. Um, it's very he gets, so he never grows a horror movie. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. he he never grows fangs or anything. Right. But he goes and buys plastic, you know, vampire teeth like you would, you know, buy when you were a kid. And he runs around with those. And he he's there's a scene where he's running down the street saying, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. And that was funny. But again, I don't know if that was intentionally funny or if that was just, you know what I mean? I think a lot of my delight in this film just comes from his performance that he he has come to be known for. He always kind of... brings it, you know, and, and even yeah. I think directors, like really good directors sometimes have to maybe dial him back a little bit to get, but in this, he's just, he just totally brings it. You know, I haven't seen it in a long time. And I remember being delighted by like, oh, this is insane. What struck me watching it this time is that it's quite slow. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's definitely slow. And I was watching it at night, but I found myself a couple of times needing to like pause it and, get up and drink some water and because I'm like I don't want to fall asleep during this I want to watch it from start to finish which I know is a little bit of a damning commentary I don't I don't know that it's a snoozer but it no. is slow um, I was resisting the urge at times you know to grab my phone or, or whatever there, there are times where it, it you know um, and I don't yeah. remember that um, but I wonder because so right off the top his performance is bonkers, and I, I'm not sure if this was his breakout movie or not, but it's certainly very early in his career. Um, and I think it's worth watching just for that alone. Yeah. But I was trying to th- figure out as I watched it, you know, different ways in which to watch this. Because in one way, it's the just the portrait of a man going insane. Uh, I think it's a hard case to make that he's actually turning into a real vampire. He believes he is. Mm -hmm. But things like needing to go and buy the fake teeth and, you know, it's... uh, And he very clearly devolves into a madman sort of shuffling around the street talking to himself. So Mm -hmm. we come out of his head enough to see that the the, uh, de-evolution of his mind... Um, and, and that, that, so he starts as this sort of successful, it reminded me a little bit of American Psycho in some ways, where Christian Bale's character is this very high functioning, wealthy, you know, power player, but has these psychotic impulses. I mean, I suppose he's a psychopath, but we go back and forth between being inside his mind and outside his mind, and there is some question as to whether the murders he commits are even real. Mm-hmm. They're played as real, right? But at the end of the movie, you're like, well, how much of that really happened? And you have to sort of, there's little concrete things like Nicolas Cage, finally he does bite a woman in the neck. And there's a newspaper article that says, you know, there was a woman that was murdered. And so you, you know, so you, you, you assume we see a newspaper heading that was real. But, you know, all of his interactions with the, the vampire, the Beale character. We see her later 
in the bar and she very convincingly like doesn't recognize she, you know she's remembers meeting him one time yeah you know, she's like you're peter right a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and so maybe that's the vampire playing an act but it doesn't seem that way in the film it just seems like whoa what's you know guy take it easy you know and and as the vampire she has notable fangs and she's very controlling and manipulative of him and he seems like in a trance like state and it's more Again, like in Joker, where his uh, relationship, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker's relationship with his, you know, neighbor <laughs> ends up being purely imagined, mm-hmm. right? It's like a plot line through the thing, and then we realize at the end that it's all been in his head. Um, so, in one way, you're looking at an arc that is, he is sort of... Um, a successful, powerful um, guy who lives in New York. Uh, New York, I will also say New York is very much a character in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, we are just constantly cutting to sort of still shots, of uh, like landscape shots of New York yeah. to set mood. And that can be a cheap way to, to add production value to a movie, but I, I want to give the filmmaker the benefit of the doubt and say it's deliberate that he is setting this in New York and that so we can think about life in New York where there's many scenes where he's like causing a real ruckus in the street and, you know, people are turning their heads and taking notice of him, but nobody's intervening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody's rushing uh, to help him or, you know, he goes running down the street screaming, I am a vampire, I am a vampire. (laughs) And people are just kind of like, you know, only in New York. Yeah, they're jaded, right? And I think think there's a way to look at it is that he is alone and he's really lonely. And what happens in New York is you can be wealthy and successful and live, look like you're kind of winning, Mm -hmm. um, but, but not have anybody. And then if... You start to kind of go off the rails. You you know she, his secretary has her brother and 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 a family. She's you know, her parents and she's got people, but this idea of a setting which is crowded full of people, but everybody is kind of fundamentally alone, even in a crowded club. Does that make any sense? Sure. Yeah. You I. There's no cops in this movie, right? Yeah. In in movies like this, there's always a cop rushing in or cops, you know, in a crime scene. Then the, the, you cut to the detectives. Like, on, it's always a factor. There's no law enforcement in this movie at all. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. people get hurt, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's assault. There, He kills somebody. And it's, you know, it's plausible that you think. So it's just the next day. Like, by that point... There's no motive. There's no, you know, where do they start to look for this guy? They just haven't caught up with him yet. But mm-hmm. the camera doesn't follow any of the, what we think of as the societal consequences of his actions. Yeah. Right. And I think that's interesting. You know, I think it's really, it's not about a man within society. It really stays focused on this guy's mind that ends with a death wish. You know, not mm-hmm. that, that you know. At one point, he puts her his secretary's revolver in his mouth, and and 
uh, she's we've seen that she has it loaded with blanks, but he pulls the trigger twice, which I don't think it works that way. <laughs> like yeah. I don't think you could put a, a gun in your mouth, even if it's loaded with blanks, and shoot twice and not be seriously hurt by that. Yeah, <laughs> but, I would think so too. But in the film, he's not. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we see that he's miserable and he wants to end it all. <laughs> not a comedy. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Now, what you said, I mean, that all makes sense about the uh, aloneness and all of that. I, I didn't, I don't know that I would have come to that uh, explanation on, you know, myself on my own because they, they, uh, they don't set that up particularly well. I don't think it doesn't really seem like, you know, he's, he's, uh, He's mean to the secretary, but it doesn't necessarily seem like he's totally miserable in his work and he hates his life or anything like that. I didn't feel like, you know. No, and I um, don't. That's not what what I'm getting at either. It's not that I, I'm I'm not teasing out um um this thesis or that thesis. I'm just trying to make sense of like because you watch this movie and you go. Why did you make this movie? Like, what are you showing me here? Yeah, that's how I felt. You know, because if it's a comedy, you're like, okay, trains, planes, and automobiles. It's a, it's a, it's a hilarious buddy, just sort of dark tinged buddy comedy or anti buddy comedy about a guy just trying to get home for the holidays. You know, mm-hmm. and it's or Home Alone. It's like it's you. What you see is what you get. And in this one, if you're selling it as a comedy. But it's clearly shot as a horror thing. But it's so slow that it's not scary. It makes me want to ask the filmmaker, like, what what did you think you were making, right? And there's there's stuff going on. I think there's like rich man, poor man. Like we see the secretary's life. We see that she ha- she lives far away and she has to ride the train, and that's sketchy and scary for her. Whereas he's you know lives in midtown and he goes to this fancy shrink and she's got a fancy office and so we see the haves and the have nots and i think that's one thing that's sort of played with in the movie we have the people who are on top and the people are on bottom Mm -hmm. we see some sort of supporting shots of other crazies in new york you know they're not cut from the frame there are other nuts wandering around the streets here and there um so, you know, we see people who are high-functioning, and then we see people who are low-functioning, and I think there's that dynamic going on. And then I think we see we see this relationship of, like, of healthy relationships and toxic relationships, right? We see the secretary it has, um, you know, a, a tight-knit relationship with her parents and her brother in particular. It's protective it's uh, caring, right? And then we see the relationship with Nicolas Cage before he starts to go nuts, where he's basically just picking up women in bars and and then not calling them again later. You know, it's just right. churn, and there's nothing meaningful there. And he's talking with his therapist about his relationships that he there's that's not working out for him. You know, excuse me, um, and. And so I think there is also uh, there's also a way of looking at this movie that's kind of like 
so and then also there's the you know so there's the vampire that is um a parasite to him and then there's or and sort of abusing him and then he is abusing his secretary right and there's this sort mm-hmm. of implication that who are the people that do this to other people? Well, they are people who are having or have had that done to them. I don't know. I, I'm I'm yeah. not. I'm just kind of panning for gold here. I don't. I'm not trying to sell. I'm just trying to make sense of this movie because yeah. it's like there's enough in it that feels really deliberate, but none of it really came together in terms of like what am I supposed to take from this at the end of it. Yeah, I felt I I would agree with that. I I I felt the same. Um and they you know, I like films that are ambiguous and and uh unreliable, you know, have unreliable narrators and and all of that. But it's I don't know that they necessarily handled that too well either because you um you know, as the viewer, they don't give you too much indication, I don't think, as to know exactly what's real and what isn't. Like, for example, so with the vampire, you know, they he takes her home, he meets her in a bar, he takes her home, she bites him, and then he starts to, um, you know, have these... Uh, I don't know if symptoms is the right word, but he starts to, you know, he starts to, he's becoming a vampire, quote unquote. And then she, there repeatedly, she comes back, you know, she'll just show up at his apartment and they're together again for the night. And um, so how did you take that? Did he, did he just meet her? Did he ever even go home with her? I'm not sure. I mean, was she, did they have a one night stand or? I, I think so, but I don't think she bit him on the neck. I think she was giving him a hickey or something because then okay, yeah. we cut to a shot of him shaving with a straight razor and he nicks himself in the neck where the night before she had quote-unquote bitten him. Yeah. Right? I mean, we see her bite him, but the next day he doesn't have a bite mark on his neck or even a hickey for that matter. And he nicks himself shaving, and then he's, he wears a bandage on his neck for the rest of the film, which is where, ostensibly, the fang marks are. And it, he takes it off later, and there are the fang marks. But they make, a, they make a point. It's not incidental. They make a point of, like, the next shot after he's bitten is him shaving and nicking his neck and putting a band-aid mm-hmm. on it. So I think he did have a one night stand with her and it's the night after he there was a bat that got into his apartment and he says to his therapist, you know, I had this weird feeling of arousal while I was chasing the bat or threatening trying to get the bat out, you know, and it was part fear, but it was and then she she comes back to that the next week and he's like, "Oh, I didn't know. I didn't remember what I, I can't do his voice, but it's weird." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where are the people? Uh, what are you doing? Um, uh, what's that choice? Yeah, but, uh, I, I didn't. That voice was. I didn't understand. Very strange. It, uh, you know, I'll say again though, his performance is so strange. I'm glad in the trailer that we've got samples of it, because mm-hmm. you know, at one point he comes out of his office and he does a like a 
both legs. He just jumps up onto this waist-high thing and thrusts out his arm at the secretary. He's like, there you are! <laughs> it's just yeah, the weirdest yeah. moment. And his <laughs> this film is full of that performance where he is not only taking it to 11, but making choices just like... What made you think to do that? Like, that's crazy. But, I mean, it's kind of core Nick Cage, really. I mean, it's... On the trivia on IMDb, they said that the the scene where he eats the cockroach, that that was his idea, and he actually ate a cockroach. And they said there were people upset with him that that he ate a real cockroach. And he said that, uh, you know his response to that was can anybody honestly say that they have never killed a roach before that they didn't, you know, use raid or whatever. But yeah, so that was uh, the, the thing that what's weird about it is there's, there's not much progression progression from, you know, he seems like this fairly normal guy who's just kind of an asshole. Yeah. um, To then, all of a sudden he uh you know he sees a there's a bat in his apartment and then he takes a woman home and he apparently fantasizes that she's a vampire and bites him and then he then he's just like crazy after that you know there wasn't i i think they they could have done more to show yeah a little bit that he maybe he has this empty lonely life um you know, because you kind of watch it and you're sort of like, well, you know, he takes this beautiful, you know, the the first woman, he takes her home. She's this beautiful girl. And she seemed kind of uh, maybe somewhat interested in continuing to see him more. Well, yeah. because they go yeah, to the... He, he stands her up a couple of times. Yeah, he stands her up a couple of times because that, I guess, because he's become obsessed with the vampire. But But she seems genuinely interested in him. And then... If he actually went home with the Rachel girl, it, you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, this doesn't seem that terrible, you know. But uh, so I, I think they could have set up more of a progression of that. He was just this lonely guy with this just, you know, uh, that does nothing but just go to bars and go home with women for yeah. one night stands, you know, and, yeah. and he hate, hates, you know, or whatever. They, they're just I doesn't seem used to be a much... little more yeah, unpacking of of. Yeah, because there is there's a long stretch of the middle of the movie where he's sort of walking down the stairs, and then he has a sort of a weird Nicolas Cage mini seizure. Yeah, where he puts a hand to his neck, and he's like, "Hi, hi, hi, hi," you know, right? <laughs> like people are like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> he's yeah. like, oh, "Excuse me," you know, and and you're thinking, "Oh, he's becoming," but that takes a long time. Like that is a long uh, slope. Yeah, uh, you know, down through eating the roach, and then he catches a pigeon and he takes it home and kills it. He eats it uh, until he finally uh, bites a woman in the neck uh, in the club. And by that point, he's pretty much full on, just clearly full on bonkers. Um, yeah, but that's the thing. I feel like it's you know, there someone you know, would have to be very insane to think that you 
were bitten by a vampire and now you're becoming a vampire. And it's just kind of like he goes from this guy who seems to be, you know, functioning well to just, you know what I mean? To, to have that kind of, I, I just didn't feel like they set up anything previously to be like, he's yeah. having hallucinations at work or something. You know what I mean? So I, again, yeah. it's sort of like, I don't really know what they were going for. Yeah. Me neither. Um, that said, I mean, it's not a bad movie. I mean, it's well, it has these, you know, good actors in it. It's well acted and well put I think together. Jessica, as you said, Jessica it's a little Biel's slow. performance as the vampire is uh, really good, too. I mean, yeah, she's she good. Doesn't, you know. She doesn't have a lot to do, but in terms of playing a role that is, you know, she's the powerful one. She's the seductive right. one. He is her plaything. I think she nails that. I mean, she's beautiful and... She's got the blood red lipstick and uh, yeah. the fangs, and it's you know, it's a great '80s contemporary '80s uh, vision of what a vampire might be like. You know, because vampires, th- there's a whole range of how they manifest themselves on screen, from Nosferatu all the way up to True Blood, and you know, um, and I thought this was an interesting kind of metropolitan nightclub <laughs> take on yeah on the vampire but honestly i mean i, I would have I, I think i would have rather seen you know if they were if it wasn't going to be a comedy i think i would have rather seen they just it had it be just a straight horror movie she's actually a vampire you know you could have had her in it more and she actually makes, you know, turns him into a vampire. Yeah. You know? What does that look like? I mean, let's just talk about that. So let's say we cut out all the ambiguity. I think you have to have as a plot point that for a while, he wonders if he's going insane, right? He's telling his shrink about it. He's candid with his shrink instead of coy with her. And... You know, of course, she assumes he's nuts because vampires aren't real. But he really is turning into a vampire. You know what I mean? And so that's got to be at least one um, one part of it. But then he's it's got to become clear that he is becoming a vampire and resists it. I mean, I, how do you make a 90-minute movie that is really just about a man is bitten by a vampire and becomes a vampire? That's, yeah. Stretch that over 90 minutes. Like, you have to have things happen. Um, and actually, just to spin back to the movie we get, it's like, I think that's part of the problem. I think that's part of why it feels slow. Nothing really happens except that. Mm-hmm. It's just that. Lonely man who's looking for love he is bitten or believes he is bitten and believes he is turning into a vampire. And, and that's an hour and a half and it's just doesn't fill an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, anyway, I looked, uh, the director, um, of the movie is named, Robert Bierman, B-I-E-R-M-A-N. And like I looked through his filmography and 
there was barely anything that I was familiar with. It's a lot of TV stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I, I wonder if he must be British because uh, like one show was the Inspector Lindley Mysteries, which I assume uh-huh. is a, a British show. But And the same thing with uh, Jessica Beals, um, or Jennifer Beals, I mean. I've not seen a lot of things that, that she was in, but she was on the, um, did you see the Swamp Thing TV show that from just last year? No. Uh, she's in that, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then she was also on, I, I think, kind of post, um, post-Flash Dancer, the big thing that she was uh, known for was that Showtime show the l word i think that was kind oh, of the big thing i didn't yeah was. i didn't watch that, that was but a, another that was one that she was in that i've never seen that i've always been interested in is um the bride with sting have you ever seen that no um that's one maybe we should we should watch sometime that that came out in 85 um and so it's about is that uh, what is that horror comedy drama for? No, it's it's horror. It's uh it's a Frankenstein movie, I think. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sting is Dr. Frankenstein and she's his wife. Or the bride of, of Frankenstein, I don't know. Um Well, we have to at least look at that a little closer. That sounds too Yeah, too good but, not to check out. Yeah, it's uh, it has a 5.4. Wow, it only has 2800 ratings on imdb that's kind of interesting but as a 5.4 yeah it was one sting is uh, we're getting off track here but sting uh that's all right i don't know how much more we have to talk about this movie so yeah there's not it's it's i mean i think you know if uh if you're a Nicolas cage fan i think it's worth watching to um and i was looking back through this he had this was kind of just when he was really starting his ascent yeah. because he had done Moonstruck and Peggy Sue got married. Oh, he had already done Moonstruck. Yeah, Moonstruck. Peggy, that, he's great in that. Yeah. Uh, Moonstruck, Peggy Sue got married, and Raising Arizona. He'd done those. All three of those came out before. I did not which know this, that. All which three did, of those are better than this. Yeah, and it seems like an earlier movie than, than those, doesn't it? It does. Doesn't it seem like yeah, it should have been really like... Does. It yeah. came out, you know, five years before or whatever. But um, but Sting, you know, we talked about him with the Dune movie, but Sting is one of those guys that um, it's it's kind of, been, you know, I guess it's tough for musicians to, you know, there's been a lot of musicians try to cross over into film and it doesn't always work out. But, but Sting, you know, was a guy that um, it's kind of interesting that, I think that maybe he did didn't do better with films because he seemed kind of a natural. I don't know. The camera likes him. Yeah, I think it's just the police, and you have a lot to overcome if you're already big in one, you know, entertainment field, and then. You know. I think that's you know that's broken down a lot since then. You know, there was much more at right. that time. You know, you were put in a box, especially now we have people go back and forth between TV and movies and it's not, you know, it used to be back then 
a TV right. actor, it was really tough for them to cross over into movies or a film actor wouldn't de- do TV because that would be, right. you know, like they were slumming it or whatever. Yeah. So it, uh, well, it's, you know, you have, know. um, eight mile, you know, you've got Eminem. I thought that was great. He was great in that. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx has a musical career, but he's probably best known for his film and TV work. He's a comedian. Like yeah. He's just, there's, or Will Smith is another example, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, people kind of want to latch on to one thing you do and and laud that, and then everything else feels a little distracting because your brain has trouble, like, unseeing the thing, the brand or whatever. Yeah. Sure. So what do you think about Vampire's Kiss as far as a recommendation? I mean, like I say, I, I liked it overall. I mean, it's it's an interesting yeah. film. I, I think more than anything, I mean, definitely don't go into it thinking it's a comedy. If you think it's going to be a comedy, no, you're going to be really misleading. disappointed. And I think I the think fact that they people, pitch it as a comedy, though, is is telling. It's probably, yeah, they didn't know what to do with it, I, I would right. say, you know. Um, and for people that that don't like the... I would say people that, um, and I don't know that this is the audience for this podcast, but people who are, you know, maybe know Nicolas Cage best from the, uh, what are the, I'm drawing a blank, what are the movies where he's he goes after the, uh, you know, like the Declaration of Independence? National and what Treasure. Are those called? Yeah, National Treasure. So people that are used to the subdued Nick Cage of that maybe would be turned off by this really out there Nick Cage in, in this one. But if, if for people who like the crazy Nick Cage, you know, there's, there's enough of that here to, to yeah. make it at least interesting. I, I agree. I, I remember it more fondly than watching it this time. It's been several, several years, decades. Was this one that you I watched a lot as a kid? I uh, did not watch it a lot. I watched okay. it once. Oh, okay, and, okay. And, and thought, wow, look at him go, you know? Yeah. But it's funny because I don't remember it being so slow. Like, I wouldn't have recommended it if, uh, if, if I remembered it as a snoozer. I was really excited to rewatch this. And maybe it's just that the bonkerness of his performance is surprising and delightful the first time and then it doesn't stand up to subsequent viewings or maybe it's just been the most bonkers year in particular in four years uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you expand it out that that bonkers just doesn't carry a th- bonkers just is sort of uh, exhausting <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good point um but you know, I think that when I first saw it, I was just like, whoa, like you get to star in a movie and you're making these choices. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I I so I would say if you're a fan, if you're a movie buff, if you're watching along with this, yeah, it's not um, a bad film. But if you're using the metric of how entertaining is it like we're going to do a date night tonight and pop some popcorn and watch a movie, I guess I would not recommend this one. I think it's just it's just slow and a little yeah. at the end of it of a little unfulfilling. You're sort of like so I guess I mean that's it. It's over. You, but you're tired. So you're kind of like <laughs> okay. You know so I mean I guess I yeah. I guess I don't recommend it from that perspective. 
But, you know, if you're like a single guy, like, I mean, I'm not a whatever your status. I'm not a single guy. But if you're just a person who watches movies for the sake of, like, exploring interesting elements of it, it's definitely worth checking out if you hadn't seen it. If you're into Nick Cage, for sure, because that performance is nuts. Yeah, yeah. And somebody else in the role, you, you can't imagine really what it, it would be. A really dull movie, probably. Yeah, without his performance, you know. And yeah, and I think if as the character, like he's so big and over the top anyway, that when he starts to go crazy, it takes a while to tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because for sure, you're just sort of like, oh, does he seem crazier? <laughs> <laughs> now let me let me ask you something. So with the slowness of this, and this is something that, um, with going back and watching movies from 70s 80s you know there is a distinct difference between them and the movies that we get now um and w- f- w- for one thing i think when you watch movies from from this time they're so much simpler than i it seems like movies now are a lot more complex it doesn't mean that they're smart but they're just kind of more moving parts i don't know but do you how how much do you feel watching something like this it seems very slow just because maybe our brains have been kind of rewired to you know we're so used to that's a good question bite-sized um, things and you know quick cuts and all of that that's a good question i mean it makes me think of um 2001 a space odyssey which is mm-hmm incredibly slow but that's not by accident um and it's every shot is so gorgeous and deliberate and specific that there is a physical part of your brain that's sitting and and it's three hours or something like that but Mm -hmm. you know you sit and watch this thing and and you you're sort of exhausted just because what you're doing is sitting on your duff staring at a screen but the con- what you're staring at is gorgeous everything's like so compelling and at the time i think this is another thing about 2001 that we forget is we hadn't been to the moon yet <laughs> you know yeah. we we didn't have actual footage of what the earth looked like from space yet this was all kubrick's imagination of what it looked like mhm and that's incredible. So if you were an audience that went to I, Woody Allen has an interview somewhere that he was like, I went to see that. And it was so mind blowing at first that I couldn't get my head around it. I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, this is absurd yeah. and boring. And he said, but I went back and watched it again later. And, uh, you know, and it, it sunk in on me the the incredible masterwork that this, you know, the the. the triumph of imagination that this movie was yeah um but it's slow and i think that was most of of kubrick i mean the shining is slow too yeah i'm okay with slow but it is it requires more investment you know you can't just sit down and shovel popcorn in your face and you know, Bruckheimer makes a movie that you, you sit down and you buckle in and then you don't have to do anything and it just mm-hmm. whiplashes you around. Um, you know, Too Fast, Too Furious. 
I don't know that that's a Bruckheimer movie. I'm just saying, you know, that that's the, I just watched, uh, you know, um, the new James Bond, not new, Casino Royale with, um, spacing on the guy's name, you know, blonde. Yeah, yeah, blonde. yeah. Uh, uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah, Daniel Craig. Uh, just because it came up in my queue and was like, you might like this. I'm like, oh, had you I seen, that seen that one that before? While. Yeah, but yeah. I hadn't seen it in a it's while. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's a James Bond movie, so it clips along at a pretty brisk pace. It's like, this is the scene where he seduces the beautiful woman. This is the scene where he plays cards. This is the scene where there's a shootout. This is the scene where he's almost poisoned. You know, so it's designed to not be slow. Yeah. Um, I think we have come to expect movies to kind of um, shuttle us along. And I think that Part of that, though, is if you're going to write a screenplay, a successful that that's going to get made, there needs it needs to be clear what each scene is doing, mm-hmm. right? And in a movie like this, where it's just like lots of shots of, we're establishing that it's morning in New York, so we're not going to do just one shot of the top of a lonely looking skyscraper as the morning sun hits it. We're going to then cut to another shot of the sunlight hitting the park. And then we're going to cut to another, you know, and there's five of those shots and you start to feel like you're just stretching this movie, right? Like there's no particular, like we get it. We, we already understand we're in New York. We already understand that it's morning. Why are you still showing us this, right? And I think that one thing we probably have, um, you don't just get away in a movie with like, isn't New York an interesting looking place? You don't get away with that anymore. Yeah. Like, go ahead, establish it's morning, establish we're in New York. What Now what's happening, you know? And I think of The French Connection too, which is a great movie, but... It's so slow until suddenly right at the end it's not. Yeah. You know? Um, and slow is, I mean, I think we're both kind of saying slow is fine as long as it's interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, some of my favorite, I mean, I, you know, 2001 is one of my favorites and I got to see that on a big screen a couple of years ago. Uh, the same thing with The Shining. I got to see that in the theater a couple of years ago. You know, that's another one of my favorites. So right. I don't have anything against slow movies. But even Indiana Jones, right? Even the first one, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Or no, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, an action movie. I mean, I think nobody would dispute. Is, is it a comedy? I mean, it's funny, but it's it's an action movie. There is a lot of that movie that aren't action sequences. Right. Right? There's establishing him in the classroom. There's establishing him and his colleagues. There's him explaining to the government wonks the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, there's just a lot of... There's a shot of a map when he's flying, showing... Where's he going? Where's the red line going to next? You know, so it's like... It's it's not... um, It's not the Transformers or Michael Bay thing. It, it's it's a graphic novel, really. And it but but it it gets there. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like this is the scene we're establishing this. And that's entertaining. Oh, the student in the front row has love you on her eyelids. Like his his students love him. 
you know, and he, that flusters him. And you have a laugh and that scene lands and you enjoyed watching that scene. But it's not a pulse pounding action sequence, right? Right. So it's not that, I don't know that we need, we, we just have lost, well, I as a viewer have just lost some of my patience for fat in a movie that's right. just feels like padding. I'm like, I don't need, you know, you could cut that. If this was, and now that we got Netflix and everything, it's like if this was a 48-minute movie and you cut out all the stuffing, I would recommend it. I'd be like, you got to check out Vampire's Kiss. I don't know what it means, but it's crazy. (laughs) You know what I mean? For sure. And you don't have to sit through twice as much of it to, to land the good stuff. I think some of the the what you're talking about, like with Indiana Jones, is I think newer action movies that aren't as well written or crafted, a lot of that character development is just replaced with, you know, stuff blowing up or, you know, things banging together or whatever. Whereas, you know, the especially Raiders, it was just so well written that they you know, you did, and again, I mean, I guess it's kind of unfair that we're talking about like Kubrick, one of the greatest directors, Spielberg, one of the greatest directors, you know, but with a, even like a new slow film that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, The Lighthouse, that was a, you know, that was a yes. slow movie. Yes. But there's something interesting happening all the time. There, there's, there's never ambiguity. A... There's, there's ambiguity that is deliberate mm-hmm. and there's ambiguity that is just, because the director, I was going to say lazy because I think that's a better bumper sticker, but it's more that just the director doesn't have. I've made movies where, like, we got to get it to 80 minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and, and you don't go back and rewrite fundamental, like, compelling plot things. You find ways that you hope can be entertaining to kind of stuff in there, stuff it. And it's just not interesting to watch. But The yeah. Lighthouse was riveting. And didn't spood feed you answers, but I yeah. that felt like a masterful piece of directing to me. This was had a lot of interesting stuff, but it doesn't feel like a masterful piece of directing. It feels kind of confusing uh, because decisions weren't made, and a little bit maybe, you know, oh, I've got Nicolas Cage. He's so, you know, so energized and so exciting. It's like. Um, he did that take where he jumped up on the thing and screamed, and then you're like, "Well, I don't really know what to tell him to do differently." So, okay, we're moving on. You know? Yeah, you get and the you feeling s- that the director- like you're the director. You, yeah. you know? Did he give you what you're trying to say in the scene? Oh, you don't know exactly what you're trying to say in the scene. Well, okay, there it is. That's that's the answer then. Yeah, you get kind of the feeling that they just turned the camera on and were just like, "Hey, do your thing," you know, instead of uh, there being any real. Um, As the director, it, you guess. can't just trust that if it's on the page, it's on the screen. Right. Right? I mean, that is literally your job, is taking what's on the page. And I think a lot of times you see movies where what's on the page is worse than what you see on the screen. You take a kind of a B script, and somebody goes and directs the heck out of it, and it comes off as a much better movie with much more nuanced performances the actors and the director and the cinematographer and the designers kind of fill in what isn't on the page um, to make it richer and a compelling story of human relationships. Um, 
I don't think that this particular I don't think that really happened in this movie. I don't no. think it was a an award-winning story on the page. How could it have been? Cuz then the director really screwed it up if it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Sure. So I think it's just, you know, he they started with a script that had a lot of holes and wasn't really clear and ended up with a movie that wasn't really clear. Mm-hmm. Um as entertaining as some of the performances in it are. And I like the style and the music, and this is what it was like to live in the 80s. The, you know, the, all the club scenes, a lot of scenes were people dancing in clubs, and they're dancing like it's the 80s, and their hair is like it's the 80s, and their shoulder pads, you know, and I get nostalgic for that stuff. And it's, it's yeah, I have the nostalgia too, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of fun to watch these movies from this era because we were teenagers at this time right so it's in a way i feel a little bit like yeah i lived through this era but i didn't really see that because i was you know when this movie came out i was 15 or 16 years old so it wasn't like i was going out to nightclubs you know what i mean so you see that in these movies but i didn't i don't really feel like i ever experienced that um going to an 80s nightclub you know there is one moment, like when he bites the blonde near the end of the movie. Um, what really struck me after having lived in New York for 20 years is, so he's in the packed nightclub. He sort of shoves his way through the crowd. All that made sense. And the nightclub is c- clearly not to fire code with all those people in it. It all makes sense. And he goes upstairs at one point, and he finds this sort of, you know, other room in the club where you can still hear the music that is huge and it's completely empty mm-hmm. <laughs> you know except for this one blonde who's probably sitting there nowadays it'd be checking her phone but she was probably doing coke yeah and what struck me was <laughs> this room is not packed like you know yeah you know these cl- there's people waiting outside if there's room in the place the whole thing is packed. You don't go into an internal space, public space like that, in a nightclub in New York, and find empty space. <laughs> you know, it really, it really. I get it for the purpose of the scene. He needs to be alone with her, but I don't. I didn't think he. It's a little thing. Yeah, I, I heard him do an actor studio interview about eating the roach, and he said he did two takes. And they said, you know, do you remember what it was like to eat the roach? And he says, I could still feel it in oh. my mouth. But he didn't say it was his idea. Oh, okay. He made it sound like they they wanted him to do it, and he thought, I can say no, or this can really, you know, be... I, I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, this could make me, which is why I thought it would be mm. an earlier movie for him. But if he did Raising Arizona and those other movies... Yeah. Moonlighting first. He was getting a lot of acclaim, you know. Yeah. It's, you're made, man. Moonlighting yeah. would have made you. I, you know. Oh, yeah. One and the quick... eating the roach thing is, I, in my memory, it was a much more jarring scene than watching it the second time. Yeah. You know? well, one quick thing about the nightclub scene, or nightclub scenes, that reminded me a lot of, have you ever seen Fright Night? No. Oh, we should watch Fright Night. Is it what's give me the one like what is it ghosts demon no it's uh witch? it's a vampire so it's uh, uh, Roddy McDowell is this um, horror like old school like horror TV host where he shows like bad horror movies uh-huh. and there's a kid who um, 
this guy moves in next door to him and he thinks he's a vampire and uh you know and it's like he's trying to convince everybody no one will listen to him that the that the next door neighbor is a vampire and he gets Roddy McDowell he thinks because he's this horror tv host um you know he like recruits him to help him fight the vampire um it's a movie it's not scary it now it is a comedy comedy horror we should watch that i i, I we would could watch that i would like to talk to you about that because it's I, it's a, I, I it's mean, a favorite I, of mine you had proposed you had proposed halloween three the season of the witch for next week mm-hmm. and i picked this one and you know i feel like it's your turn to pick we can watch that if you want I, I'm willing to do it. I'm not excited about it because I was traumatized by it oh. when I saw it in like junior high with that scene where the kid's head yeah, turns yeah. into bugs. Like w- really upset me. I'm sure if I watched it now, it would actually sort of cleanse that and be like, oh, nah, okay. it's still pretty I was gross. Just a kid. It's still pretty gross. But it like really upset me that his parents were sitting there and that ugh, it was really upsetting to me. I know the rest of the movie is campy and bonkers yeah. and there's robots and weird guys in suits and it's just completely out of the franchise and um and and so i'm willing to do it because i think it fits right into our thing but let's watch fright night i I think you would enjoy fright night i'd be surprised and it's a it's a perfect halloween movie basically so okay so for next week we're gonna watch fright night um is that okay with you i have never seen no i'm excited yeah if you've never seen it it, great roddy mcdowell yeah. I see it. I mean, I've seen, I've certainly heard of Fright Night, which is uh, something in its favor. Roddy McDowell and uh, Chris Sarandon. You know who Chris Sarandon is? Um, no. Uh, you'll you'll know him when you. He's in uh, The Princess Bride. Oh, um, okay. You'll know him when you see him. I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, yeah, right. that'll that'll be fun. I'd I'd like to because it, it's a movie that I've seen a bunch of times. Um, so, you know, I know it really well, but it'll be fun to discuss it with you having not seen it. Excellent. So okay. that's a done deal. Cool. We are going to watch Fright Night for next week. Um, shall we wrap it up for this session? Sure. All right. So, I mean, I think to summarize and correct me if I'm wrong is like we recommend it. If you're into Nicolas Cage and if you're okay with it being a little slow and confusing, <laughs> Uh, but if you're looking for something really fun and a date night movie, this might not be the one. Yeah. You know what? Go watch Moonlighting. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, why don't we all tune in and check out Friday night, and we will talk to you next week.